like to welcome everybody this morning. As always, we're thankful just to have the health and strength and the privilege to be in the Lord's house this morning. And appreciate our children and uh, appreciate our, all our mothers and, uh, and other people that bring these kids to Sunday school and how important that is. And, uh, we just look forward to having a good day of the Lord. And uh, as we thought this morning of being Mother's Day, and uh, you know, we appreciate our natural mothers, but uh, we thought how much uh, we we appreciate our spiritual mother, the church that we grew up in, and what she's done for us, and how she raised us, and uh, it, it just don't get no better than uh, being being raised in a good church like this. And I appreciate it. Uh, we'll look. Uh, we'll ask Brother Jay dismiss Sunday school. Good to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody coming out. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, sure appreciate all of you. And we have got and just a fantastic lesson. I hope I can scratch the surface of where this lesson and, and all of the things that are in here. We're going to be in the eighth chapter of Romans. And uh, for uh, give them a minute there to get the door closed. Um, it's interesting, I started looking at some commentaries, and I usually look at several commentaries when I'm going to teach or if I'm studying something, and, uh, you know, commentaries are just men's opinions that they've written down, and there's some that I really like, and there's some I don't use very often, but several of them made reference to the fact, and again, this is just man's opinion, but a lot of thought about the eighth chapter of Romans and it being either the greatest chapter in the Bible, in men's opinion, or one of the top, you know, few greatest chapters in the Bible. And again, this is man's opinion, but I, I agree with that. I don't know if I would say it's the greatest, because, boy, there's some great scriptures in some other places. But this uh, 
chapter, boy, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he is sending them, and in this chapter specifically, uh, some some encouragement and trying to, you know, send them some words to, to help them. And those words from all those years ago still have such relevance to us today. And uh, so I desire your prayers uh, as we get into this. So before I start reading, I'd like to, as, as I try to do sometimes, I'd like to just set the, the backdrop or the so you understand what's going on in the world. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, it was 56 A.D. And that's approximate, but I looked at two or three different timelines, and they're all in agreement, 56 or 57 A.D. It's pretty, uh, pretty well established. He had not been to visit the church in Rome at the time that he wrote this scripture. He was planning to go. He wanted to go. As we know, he did get there later. But he had been in Asia, and he had been in some other places. And But he wanted to write this book to them uh, as an encouragement, and I think partially to let them know that he, he was planning to come. Um, what was going on in Rome at this time is that there was a, a, an emperor in Rome, let me get the name, Claudius, and uh, there was quite a bit of dissension in Rome between the Jews and the Christians because there was starting to become a movement of Christians in Rome. And Claudius had gotten unhappy about the dissension between these two groups, and he just told them all to get out. So, uh, and, and we know that uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who met Paul, and he writes about them in, uh, in one of the other books, uh, they left Rome and, and met up with him, and that's how he got acquainted with them. So there are some things going on with this church in Rome. They're being, the Christians are being persecuted, and so they've got some things going on that would be pretty tough to deal with. I mean, if our government came along and said, okay, all Christian churches are closed. You all got to move. We don't care where you go, but you can't stay here. You know, if you're going to remain a Christian, you can't stay here. That'd be, that'd be really hard. And so that's, that's who Paul's writing to. All right. So certainly those folks needed some encouragement. Uh, so our lesson, eighth chapter of Romans and it, our lesson officially starts in verse 18, but I'm going to back up and grab two verses before we get there. This whole chapter is just great. And if you have comments, please, uh, as always, feel free to make them. Um, so verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And, and boy, you could teach all week on that right there. Uh, how do we know that we're saved? God's spirit will witness with our spirit. Each of us have got a spirit individually, but God's spirit will witness with us. And what do we look for when somebody comes forward and says, I've been saved, I, I got, you know, the Lord touched me and I got saved this morning. What do we look for? I tell you what I look for, and this church does, 
I look to feel God's spirit when they say that. And it's not every time that I do. And, and sometimes you just have to, you know, take people at their word uh, that they are saved. But when they come forward and say, I got saved and I want to join the church, if I can feel God's spirit, then I'm thrilled about that. That's what I'm looking for. So God's spirit bears witness with ours. If there's no spirit, there's no way to confirm that. So we look for and hope that we get a witness from them in the future. All right. And there have been people at other churches and right here through the years that have come forward a second time and said, I thought I got saved back there, but I've realized that I didn't. I, I, was, I was good intentioned, but I, I just missed it. But today I got saved. And, you know, and then, boy, when you can get a witness in that, you can move with that. You know. Um, I know for sure what I've got. I wouldn't trade with anybody, but I know there's a lot of people around here that I got confidence that they're born again Christians because I can witness with them. So, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now listen to this. Wow. And if children, so we're children of God, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So what he's telling them here is, if you've been born again, you're a joint heir with Christ himself. We're joint heirs. Think about that. Everything that he has in heaven, we have the same share that he does. How fantastic is that? You know, I, everybody knows in here that I'm an attorney. I do wills sometimes. And sometimes, you know, the heirs will come in and their, their parents or whoever it was will have left them something and they're anxious. They want to know, what's in that will? What's it say? Did I, did I get anything? Do I get a share? And most of the time, you know, most of the time, yeah, you get a share and here's what it says and, you, you know, you and your two or three siblings all share equally. Boy, they're thrilled. Every now and then there's one where, for whatever reason, and that's not my place to judge, person that wrote the will but sometimes they get a less of a share maybe there's three of them and two of them get a pretty good chunk and the third one doesn't get as much and sometimes it'll say for this reason or that reason and sometimes it don't sometimes they don't get anything you mean my siblings get to split it all and I don't get it's what the will says but God made us all joint heirs. When we are born again, we're equal with Christ. Wow! What do you think that these Romans... I mean, I don't know if they'd ever thought about that before. Paul writes them this letter, and they're like, yeah, man, we're having a tough time here. I mean, we're being persecuted. And he's telling them, if you suffer, it's all right. You know, glory in that suffering. If you're being persecuted, it's okay. Are we persecuted here? Sure we are. We got it pretty good in the United States, but it ain't perfect. Who enjoys being persecuted? I'm going to put my hand down. I don't see one hand, all right? I don't see any. I don't either. I've been made fun of. I've been poked fun at. 
I've been left out. Everybody in here that's living for Christ probably to some form or fashion has. It's all right. Glory in that. If they point you out as peculiar, you're probably right where you need to be. All right? So now we get to our lesson. So let me pick up that last part. Uh, so if that we suffer with him, with Christ, that we may be glorified together. Glorified. There's a word you're going to hear a lot throughout this. So just, and we'll talk about glorified. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, there's that word again, same word, which shall be revealed in us. So let's start with reckon. Reckon is an accounting term. Okay, It means that Paul has added up the suffering and he has added up the glory and he's saying, I have done the accounting and the scales aren't even close. The suffering of this present time and he's talking to the Romans, so they're suffering. But that suffering isn't even worthy to be on the scales with the glory that we're going to have, the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Think about that. Not even worthy to be on the same book. Doesn't even come close to adding up. Well, Paul probably, I mean, these, these folks are in Rome. They probably, they're suffering. They're being persecuted. What's Paul know about suffering? He know anything about it? Well, he knows a little. Let's let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All right. Now I want to tell you that it again this is a timeline and this is not biblical but this is men that have studied this out and I believe this is accurate. Corinthians I believe was written either right before or right after Romans. I think it was written right before Paul wrote Romans. All right? But it's certainly contemporary. So, and, and, and even if Paul hadn't suffered all of these things at the time that he wrote this, he still had suffered a lot of them. But I believe that when this book was written, he had suffered everything that he's getting ready to tell us before he wrote to the Romans. And and the, the Romans, the church there, certainly knew about some of his suffering. Alright? So let's look. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Of the Jews, five times receive I forty stripes, save one. So 39 stripes. He'd been beaten five times. This is all things that he was persecuted for serving Christ. Alright? Thrice I was beaten with rods. All right? So that's eight beatings that he's taken from, from the Jews right there. Once I was stoned. He was stoned and left for dead. They thought they'd killed him. All right? But he wasn't dead. Thrice I suffered a shipwreck. All right? He was, you know, and you think about that. Uh, Becky and I, when, when we got to go to Greece last year, and I've told this class this, but... We got to we we were on Crete, 
and we drove one day and went over to the place reportedly where Paul was shipwrecked one of those times. And they had a place there where they stayed because the weather was so bad. And he started preaching to uh, the folks there on Crete. And he left Titus. If you read Titus, said, I left you on Crete to do these things. So he left Titus there and went on. But nevertheless, so three times he was shipwrecked. A night and the day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, the, the Jews wanted to kill him, in perils by the heathen, the folks that didn't believe in anything wanted to kill him, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He had so many people that started out with him that said, we're going to go with you and we're going to preach and we're going to follow you and support you and help you in the ministry. And guess what they did? As soon as something didn't go the way they wanted, they were out the side door or they turned on him and, 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 and really kind of stabbed him in the back. Several times he writes, I had to stand and give account on my own. My, my friends and the fellows that I thought were going to be with me, they disappeared. Did Paul know anything about suffering? I mean, when I think about where I get aggravated and down and think, man, maybe I ought to just quit. Who all's been there? Now, I, do, I know I'm going to see some hands now, all right? Or at least shake your head. Everybody has thought about that. If you've been on the journey for very long, you've thought about it. If you're anything like me, I've thought about quitting. Well, why would I keep doing that, you know? Look at Paul. I mean, you can look other places, okay? And I've heard our pastor preach, if you're in a spot where you're wanting to look at somebody, and a lot of times people that are out of church or that are lost, they'll say, well, if so-and-so's going to, and I'm not pointing over there for any reason, it's just empty. But if so-and-so, you know, if so-and-so's going to make it, if they're a Christian, then I'm going to make it. I'm just as good as so-and-so, brother or sister, either one, all right? Well, pick out the one that ain't stubbing their toe and because you can look around and find one of them. Look at Paul, my goodness. Or look at somebody. There's some folks here in this church that you can find, all right? Look at one of them. But look at Paul. Look at all this suffering that he went through. You know what Paul's motive was? It's what our motive ought to be. Now, he was a preacher. We're not all preachers. But what was Paul's motive? He wanted to encourage and spread the gospel and help somebody else find this Christ. That's what Paul's motive was. He'd get beat up. He'd crawl back into town. Somebody would patch him up. And he'd, as soon as he got feeling good, he'd head on to the next town. And he'd start preaching again. And he'd get... They'd run him, they'd get mad, and he'd find out they were about to run him off, and he'd head someplace else. Paul was, you know, until they put him in prison where he couldn't run anymore in, in Rome, and then you know what he did? He said, have everybody that you can come here to this house where I'm imprisoned, and I'll preach to them right here. So he preached from his house till they killed him. Think Paul knew something about suffering? I think he did. 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, there's that word again, which shall be revealed in us. Now, do you think Paul knew anything about glory? Let's go to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is also Paul's writings, and Thessalonians was written approximately four years before he wrote the letter to Rome. So this scripture now, obviously back then they didn't have a printing press. They may have had a scroll of some, or some parchment that had some of this on it, but they may not have had anything in Rome. But I'm wanting to tell you when he's talking about glory, here's what he's talking about. So chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have ye be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that are dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. Listen to this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul knew something about glory. I'm glad I know something about glory. You get down. I'm sure Paul did sometimes. I do feel bad when I look at what Paul went through compared to what I'm going through. But glory. What glory? Verse 19. Does anybody have a comment? Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creature, what is that? That's some, that's some booger man. It's, and it's interesting, I, I said reading through the, the commentaries, they'll have you, that the, that the creature is nature, you know, some of them, it's, it's, it's out, it's, you know, it's horses and cows and birds. And that's not the creature this is talking about. Uh, this isn't talking about uh, the dirt out there in the ground. Um, and, and I know all of you know this, but a lot of times when the scriptures are talking about earth, they're talking about this flesh. This here where it's talking about the creature is talking about 
this flesh, this, this, this man right here that you're looking at, okay? Now, please keep in mind that there are two people here, and you can see one of them, and hopefully sometimes you get to see the other one. Um, but there's a soul that you, you really can't lay eyes on, but sometimes you get a glimpse of him. I like it when, when he gets to, uh, to come forward, when the spirit will move. I like it when you get to see him, and I hope he gets to teach sometimes. But this, nor this natural human that you're looking at here, this is the creature. So what's Paul talking about here when he says the earnest, we all know what earnest is, very sincere, you know, expectation. So we're looking forward to something. We've got an expectation that something's going to happen. So the sincere longing or expectation of the creature, this guy, waiteth for the manifestation. What's manifestation? That's the revealing or the, the disclosing of, you know, if somebody's behind a curtain and you open that up, you could say, you know, they were revealed. So the manifestation of the sons of God. So what's that talking about? All right. We're going to get to it, but our soul is as saved as it's ever going to be. But this flesh is waiting and has a hope going to get to that in this lesson but it's it's looking forward it has an expectation of what's going to come so what's going to come well let's look and see for the creature again this man was made subject to vanity well what's vanity well it's worthlessness it's it's hopelessness there's no way that the creature can get to what it wants without god all right so we all understand that, but that's Paul's, that's just what he's saying here. We know that the flesh can't live perfect, only one perfect person, and that was Christ. So this flesh isn't perfect. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. We didn't want to, for it to be this way, but we sinned anyway. So where it says not willingly, it's the result of our action. We certainly, Adam fell, and every one of us have fallen since. So there's a defect here because of that fall that Adam made, and that's why that there's vanity. And you can go over in Ecclesiastes. I won't go get it because I'm going to run out of time. But over in Ecclesiastes, I think it's uh, uh, chapter 12, Starts off, vanity, vanity, all is vanities. What profit a man work his whole life? What, what good is it? Well, well, if we're working for God, we can do some good, but that's not what the preacher there is talking about. He's talking about, can we work good? Can we become good enough and sanctify this guy good enough to work our way to heaven? No, can't do it. We need to work after we're saved and try to keep this man clean but we can't work good enough and do enough work to get this man into heaven. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Wow, when does that happen? I haven't seen anybody do that graduation here. Well, yeah, you have but it was when they were in a box here in the front. 
all right? This creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's that fall that Adam made that got us all. We're all corrupt. We're all, you know, man can't get there on his own. The bondage of corruption. We deal with it every day. Look around. We're getting older, and the world's getting more corrupt. And the, the imaginations that man has, I, I like to say they never cease to amaze me, but every day it seems like I read something and go, you got to be kidding. Really? And, and people are going for that? But people are nuts. So this man is going to be delivered from this bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation... Now here he's talking about whether you've been born again and whether you haven't been born again. Everybody. Okay? Groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Why does it say until now? It's because it was from the beginning of time until he wrote that scripture. So we can still look at it and say until now. All right? At some point, that's going to end. When is that going to end? Well, for me, it's going to end when they bring me right there and put me in a box. That's when it ends for me. Or when the Lord comes back and it's all over. Okay. But he says until now because that's, it is the case. When he wrote that, it's still until then. Hey, man. That's good, Bonnie. Thank you. Somebody else have a comment. Appreciate that. All right. Let's go on. I'll read verse 22 again. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also. And that's why I say he's talking about the saved and the unsaved, because he says right here, not only the ones that aren't saved, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Folks that have been saved, all right, first fruits of the Spirit, been saved, been born again. Paul's, he's talking to the church, and so that's who he's writing this to. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, Waiting for the adoption. What? The what? Adoption. To wit, the redemption of our body. Now, let's talk about adoption. <coughs> and I've heard people say this, and I understand what they mean. My soul was not adopted. My soul was born again of the spiritual lineage of Jesus Christ. All right, came through the Holy Spirit, and that's where my soul was born again from. My soul, and we're going to get on down to this, but my soul right now is just as saved as it will ever be. All right, so what about this adoption? What's that mean? Why would it call it adoption instead of born again? Again, talking about this creature that you're looking at 
this flesh. Well, is there anything good in that flesh? There's one thing. Really? Something good in that flesh? There's one thing. A hope. All right. And we may get to it. But over in Corinthians, it talks about this seed shall be sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. All right. So what do you mean there's one good thing in this flesh? When they put me in this box and take me out here and put me somewhere in the ground, there's a hope in there. All right. And I'm still waiting. And Paul gets, and he says it on down here. We're going to get to it. But he says, if we see it, we're not hoping for it anymore. But if we haven't seen it, then we're still hoping for it. My soul, I've seen that salvation. That salvation has happened. But I'm still waiting for that adoption to take place. So what are you talking about, Blaine? Well, here's what I'm talking about. When I get up, when Christ comes back, and I'm just, if I'm in the grave, I, I could still be alive and walking around, and that's going to happen the same way. But if I'm in the grave, this guy you're looking at here, or whatever's left of him, there is the thing that's good there is that hope for that new resurrected body. All right? That body is coming out of this flesh, and it is going to be adopted into that heavenly realm with my born-again soul. Okay, so that's the difference in born again and adoption. That adoption takes place because this man, which that new body comes out of, is a direct lineage of Adam who fell and cursed us all. All right, now, don't feel too bad at Adam because any of us would have been in the exact same boat Adam was, and we all have been, and we all are. Every one of us falls short all the time. So that new body... And that born-again soul that Christ is bringing back with him are going to unite and we're going to live together. All right. So the redemption of the body, that's the adoption. So if you, and, and I understand, and I know people you know, use that sometimes. I'm not, not saying anything against them, and I know you can make some good comparisons there. But soul born again, body adoption. It's the redemption of, this, of the body. And it's going to be just like planting something out in the, in the garden, and it comes up. It's going to look a lot different than that seed, but it's still going to be related to that seed. So does anybody have any comments or questions on that before we move on? In Philippians 3 and 21, uh, and again, I probably won't go get that right now because we're going to run out of time, but there's also another really good uh, scripture about the body how it's changed in resurrection and, and we get a glorified body okay verse 24 for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth why does he yet hope for so that's what I was just talking about soul is saved and it's just as saved as it's ever going to be but this body has a hope, and we're still looking for that. That's that earnest expectation. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? So we're waiting on that, on that change to come. Uh, and and uh, 
there's another scripture, all my appointed days I have, I have waited for that change to come. So anybody have any comments on, on what we've covered so far? Because we've got five more verses to cover, and I've got about 12 minutes. So, uh, but if you've got a comment on what we've gone over so far, uh, you know, don't let the time bother you. I just want to give you an opportunity. Okay. Verse 26. Now this changes a little bit right here. So he's, he's gone over, you know, talking about this body and the redemption of this body. Now verse 26, 27, and 28 uh, changes just a little. And so we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. Um, and there's a real picture of the Trinity right here. And, and I'd never really picked it up before uh, in reading through this. But uh, verse 26, likewise the Spirit. So right there you get the Spirit also helped our infirmities, plural. Um, and I think that that's plural. I think if it was talking about that the Spirit only helped our soul and that was the only uh, really help and the only thing that we could pray for was just our soul, I think that would say infirmity, one. This is saying infirmities, plural. I think it helps the, certainly the condition of our soul, but I think when, you know, when we're sick, or our family's sick, or we've got an issue, or a problem, or something that's bothering this guy, again, this creature, I think the Spirit can help that. Okay, you say can. Well, yeah, let's read on here. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. All right. Have you ever been really sincere about something? And I know Carl has because I've heard him teach it. Have you ever been really sincere about something and really wanted to pray for it, and try to pray, and it bounces right off the ceiling wherever you're at and comes right back at you, and that's as far as it goes. Boy, I have. I've heard Carl teach about it with a loved one that he was trying to pray for, that he got news was sick, and praying, going to the hospital, and by the time he got there, knew it wasn't good because the prayer wasn't going through. See, the Spirit won't let us, it won't make that intercession for us, if it's not according to God's purpose. What are you talking about, according to God's purpose? Now, we can try. We can, and I, and I know in Carl's instance, and I'm taking his story, but and I, I've been in the same spot where I've got down and I've been so, you know, brokenhearted about something and tried to pray, and it just didn't go anywhere. It wasn't God's purpose for that event or that person to get better or for that event to change the way I wanted it to change. The Spirit won't make any kind of connection with you. And I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but boy, I've been in that spot where I just didn't connect and it just wasn't the right time. So, we don't know how to pray unless the Spirit lets us, okay? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit knows the will of God. It's part of the Trinity. And it knows our heart. All right. So even if our heart is, boy, we really want this God, the Spirit will make intercession for us if it's appropriate. All right. So there's, I said there's, it's the Godhead here, so the Trinity. So there's, there's the Spirit. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession 
for the saints according to the will of God. So who is that he he's talking about? Well, if you go down to verse 34, it'll tell you that Christ that is risen again is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So verse 27, I believe, is talking about the Son. All right. So we got the Spirit in 26, and we got the Son in 27, verse 28. And we know that all things work together. One of the, the most quoted scriptures, I think, and there's several of them in this chapter, but and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his God's purpose. All right, so we've got the Spirit and the Son and the Father. Here, we got the Trinity right here, 26, 27, and 28, talking about prayer. And so uh, prayer is a great tool, very underused, for me anyway, uh, and I think for a lot of people. But uh, there's a song we used to sing, prayer, real prayer, well, the one that gets through is just as big as God is. I mean, if we touch heaven with a prayer and that spirit makes intercession and then Christ hears that and makes intercession with the Father and the Trinity together really hears that prayer and, what's this say? According to his purpose. If it meets the will of God. God tells us to pray and pray if this is according to your will. Because his will is so much greater and broader than I'll ever understand. He sees things that I don't, I'll never see. But if we get to that spot where we can pray according to his purpose, just as big as God is. Think about that. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. Does anybody have any comments on that before we move on? I love the song that Mackenzie sings. From the very beginning of our problem or our trial or whatever it is, God sees the end. He knows what's coming. He, there's another song. He's already in our tomorrow. I don't know if any of you have heard that. He's already there. I, get, I don't know if everybody else does. I get stressed about tomorrow. If I got something going on at work or there's something, you know, somebody's going to have surgery or somebody's sick or I don't know what, you know, I get stressed about tomorrow. God's already there. He's already there. How about that? He's in our tomorrow. Why, would I, why should I be stressed about that? I tell you why I'm stressed. It's because, well, there's a couple of reasons. Sometimes I don't put my, my faith there where I should. But the other time is, well, what if God doesn't, what if his will isn't the way that I want it? So really, I'm stressed because I'm not willing to subject to his will. Okay? What if that thing at work doesn't work out the way that I want it to? What if my loved one who's sick doesn't get better and they die? Well, that isn't what I want. 
So I'm stressed because I'm putting my want ahead of God's will. Anybody else? I, and uh, that's a great blessing, <clears throat> and I know different people have had, you know, different experiences with that. But uh, God will give you a peace, and I've had a couple of things through my life. Not that my, I'm, and I suppose everybody's had the same thing. He's given me a peace a few times and let me know my prayer got through. Now He didn't let me know what the outcome was going to be, but He's let me know that no matter what the outcome is, it's going to be okay. All right. That's what I get most of the time when I, when I go to him with the right frame of mind and frame of heart. Now, there's been a couple of times that I've prayed and God has said, yep, I'm going to grant that. Now, it may take a while, but then I knew that that was going to happen. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if anybody, I suppose everybody's experienced that. I mean, I'm, no, I'm nothing special. But it's pretty cool when God says, yep, I'm going to grant that. You're still in the midst of a big storm going on over here, and you're like, okay, I, I, can, I can accept that. You know, I had it happen sitting right back there where Kenny's at. I was sitting back there in Sunday school some time ago. In the middle of a storm, Carl was up here teaching, not anything about it, and God said, this is what's going to happen right here. Really? Okay. You know, that's awesome. He can do that. So, anybody else have anything? No. The time God made it for me, and He made for me time. Yeah. But when He calls me and I die, time's going away. There's no more time. Right. It's just like that. Denny Hunter preached at Homer's funeral. He said, Homer has stepped out of time into eternity. And he said, I want to tell you that in eternity, there's no waiting. He said, Homer's not sitting there anxiously waiting for time to end or for something. Because he's in eternity. And in eternity, there's no, I never thought about it that way before. There's no waiting. We don't have to be in a hurry. We got eternity. Which my mind can't comprehend completely. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, so God foreknows us. He knew what was going to happen in each of our lives before the world was ever formed. He also did predestinate. Does that mean that he created a list and said, okay, well, Bill's going to get saved and Carl's going to get saved and Mike's going to get saved, but these other fellows and women over here, I'm not going to save them. Is that what predestinate means? That's what some people think it means. But I'll tell you, that's not, and I know that you guys all know, that's not what this means. He foreknows, but he still gives everybody the option. Well, how do you know? Well, John 3, 16. That whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. If it was a predestination where that he made a list before time began and said, well, this, this list is saved and this list isn't, then John 3.16 is wrong. 
It's just not the case. So he predestinated that we would have an opportunity. He predestinated that everybody would have an opportunity. He foreknows, that doesn't mean that he forces it to happen. He gives us free will. But he foreknows who's going to be saved and who isn't before time ever began. But he doesn't sit there and, and like, you know, push a button to make that happen. He gives us free will. That he might be the, uh, let me see, I missed part of that. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, his son, Jesus. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So he predestinated that each and every one would have a call. Okay, now what you do with that call is up, that's your free will. And whom he called, them he also justified. What's justified? Just as if you never sinned. Okay, justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, that's, we talked about that. That's that, the part at the end, glory. That's, that's going to be, you know, for this man, this creature, that's going to be at that adoption when we get our new body. Okay, so we've got three words there. One of them we haven't even really talked about today, but we've got justified. That happens at salvation. Okay. We've got sanctified, which is our tenth uh, article of faith. Well, what's sanctified? That means once we're saved, we have the obligation to try to keep this man clean. And when we do something out of line, we need to repent, which for me happens all the time. Okay, just telling on myself. And then we've got glorified, which happens when they bring me around in this box and then, at, you know, at the end of time, at the resurrection, I get that new body. Or if Christ comes back, we'll all get to be glorified like that together. But we're all going in together because, just like Bill said, time ends. We go into eternity. There's no waiting in eternity. So it's all going to happen together. But that's a lesson for another day. Thank you for your attention. Uh, I appreciate it. Appreciate all the comments. And uh, come back next week. Brother Carl will be back.